Bible reading this week. You're going to get it right now. <laughs> Genesis 39. Genesis 39. It's the very first book in your Bible. If you got it, shout, I got it. If you need a second, say, hold on a second. I hear you. Table of contents, Genesis. <laughs> Amen. We got you, though. We pray. Genesis 39. We're going to start reading at the very first verse. I want us to, to go through the end of the chapter because it's really difficult to uh, really understand what's happening here if you don't go all the way to the end of the chapter. And then we'll jump backwards and talk about chapter 37 leading into chapter 39. It starts by saying this. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him from the Israelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. Somebody shout, successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put his hand uh, under his authority. So it was from that time, from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus, he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now listen, I want you to understand what happens now. So Joseph is taken into slavery. He's working in, in Potiphar's house. Potiphar starts to see that everything that Joseph does is blessed. And he elevates him to overseer. He was like, well, if you're blessed at that level, you should be blessed at this level. So much to the degree that everything that, Joseph, that Potiphar had was blessed because of Joseph. So much to the degree that Potiphar basically said, you're more blessed than me. Everything that you touch turns to gold. And he gave him the keys to the kingdom and said, just make me rich. To the degree that the Bible said the only thing that Pharaoh knew he had was what he ate. That's a lot of authority to be given. He basically said, you take care of it and just make sure that when I want something, I got it. Amen? All right. Now, continuing on in verse uh, verse. Verse 6, it says, now Joseph was handsome and in form, rather, and appearance. And, at, and it came to pass after these things that the master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has into my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you and because you're his wife. So how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? In other words, God put me in such a position to have favor. I'm not just messing over Potiphar. I'm messing over God. So it was. And as he spoke to Joseph day by day, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that means she kept trying to get at him. As she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men were inside, the, of the men of the house were inside, that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that she had left, that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of the house and spoke to them saying, see, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and he fled and went outside. So she kept the garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these saying, the Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to me to mock me. So it happened that as I lifted up my voice and I cried out that he, that, that his garment is with me and he fled outside. So it was, when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to them, saying, 
your servant did this to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. And then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison and play, of the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. He was in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph. I said he was in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph. And he showed him mercy and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all that the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatsoever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. I'm doing a series uh, uh, called The Gospel According to Joseph, and today I want you to, uh, uh, to look at somebody, and I want you to tell them it's all a part of the journey. It's all a part of the journey. Now, I'm going to give you guys a chance to say that one more time, because this month, we have declared that this month is the month of incredible faith. Somebody shout incredible faith. That this is the month where, we, where we, you're going to hear big words and you're going to hear things that are probably beyond what you've tried to do in your life or maybe even beyond what you believe to do in your life. And before you start saying that they think too much of themselves out at the City of Hope, I want you to know that you're in our month of faith, big faith. Somebody shout incredible faith. It, that that's what it is. So when you hear words like billion and when you hear words like multiple businesses, when you hear words like five streams of income, I don't want you to get shattered and I, want, I don't want you to get rattled. When I hear things like total and full deliverance, I don't want you to get shattered. When you hear stuff like totally debt free, don't let that shatter you because this is our month of incredible faith. Amen. Somebody shout incredible faith. When I tell you your babies are going to come back home and your family's going to get back together, don't start looking at me like I'm to the left because this is the month of incredible faith. But things are going to show up in your life that are going to rock your faith and you've got to know that it's just part of the journey. Amen? Now, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, as we prepare for the word of God, Father, I challenge us that we would open our hearts and let the spirit of the Lord speak to us. And Father, I pray for the kind of anointing that makes teaching the gospel easy, or the kind of anointing that makes receiving the gospel even easier. We don't do this as an oratory exercise or an expression of a man's gift. But God, we speak as, as though imparting. We declare as an oracle of God. And Father, that our, we do this so that lives might be challenged and changed and drawn closer to you. So Spirit of God, we invite you into this room this, this morning that you might teach and that you might impart, that you might challenge and that you might transform, that we might celebrate and be inspired and encouraged by the word of God. And we bless you for this time we have together. In Jesus' name, somebody shout amen. Amen. You may be seated, but smile at somebody first and tell them it's just church. It's okay. It's just church. It's just church. That was the wrong somebody. Smile at them. Tell them it's just church. It's just church. It's just church. Ain't nobody going to get in your business. At least I'm not going to try to. If you had the opportunity to be in service last week, we had the, we had the opportunity to discuss Joseph and, the, and, the, and to be a part of Joseph's journey. And the thing about God and the way that God operates is that one of the ways that he inspires us is that he uses literally the words in which he declares, which many times are the gospels, and we preach out of the gospels and we talk about Jesus and use Jesus as our example. But there are other times where God has empowered other individuals in Scripture, and he allows us and he challenges us to draw inspiration from those people whose hand he's been with. Joseph is one of those individuals that which we draw inspiration from. Joseph is one of those people that God chose to take on a unique journey, and he put Joseph in Scripture so that we might see how faithful God is in the life of people just like us. Sometimes it's easy to look at God and say, well, that's Jesus. But we look at Joseph and we realize that Joseph is just like us. So we started this series called The Gospel According to Joseph. And last week, we learned a couple of things about Joseph. The first thing we learned is that he was favored by his father. 
he had a favor on his life. His father, for whatever purpose and whatever reason, Jacob, his father, fell in love with him. The Bible says it was primarily because Joseph was the son of his old age. God had given Jacob a promise that Jacob would have children that would represent the 12 tribes of Israel. He had 11 children up to until that point. And as he started to get older, I'm sure he started to believe that perhaps God had missed his number. And then Joseph arrives, the final child. Joseph arrives and he is now favored by Jacob because he is the son of his old age. He is the final son. He completes the 12. He completes God's promise over his life. And to that degree, Jacob could have gone on to see God and been satisfied because God had answered at least that prayer of his life. He had so much favor with his father that his father made him a coat that had a lot of colors in it. And we, we coin it today as the coat of many colors. He puts this coat on his brother. He puts this coat on his son, rather. And the coat that he puts on his son signals that he is his father's favorite. What that did to his 11 brothers is it raised the anguish, the ire, and the envy of his brothers toward him. To that point, then God starts to speak to him. So you have the natural space happening, and God starts to speak to Joseph. He gives Joseph two dreams that we went over yes, last week. If you have not gotten last week's, make sure you pick up the CD. He goes and he gives him a dream, uh, and in both of these dreams, his 11 brothers and his parents are essentially bowing down to him. Now, that becomes a significant problem to his brothers, and it rose the envy of his brothers even to a higher temperature. Why? Because on one hand, they, he had what his brothers desired, which was the favor of his father. That's number one. But the second thing he had that, uh, that, um, that his brothers envied was the opportunity to usurp the social authority of hierarchy. In their social world, in the ancient first century world, the hierarchy started with the eldest, and it went down to the least. And the younger you were, the less authority in the house you had. And what his dream essentially was saying was that in some form or fashion, God was going to make me, the younger, the least of authority, to have the most authority. His brothers, not knowing the spiritual space that God was trying to do in his life, flew jealous because all they saw was a natural demotion. And we have a tendency to protect the spaces that we believe we have earned. They believed that they had earned the space by birthright, that there is no way that his, this younger brother is at any level going to get my inheritance because I'm the firstborn. I am the natural born. I am the first in line. And there is no way, I don't care if he dreams it, and just because it's a dream, the only thing that threatened his dream was the fact that he had so much favor, watch this, with the guy that could actually make it happen. Because he had favor with the father, what they do is they lure him into the wilderness. They take him into the wilderness, and in the wilderness they find a pit, that, a watering hole that didn't have any water, and they pushed him over into this pit. He falls into this pit, and while he's in the pit pondering whether they're going to let him loose or not, he overhears their conversation. And the, the middle brother says to the oldest brother, let's kill him. And the older brother says, well, we can't kill him. You can't kill him. I mean, you know, he's your brother, so we can't kill him. But, we, but we're not going to take him back home. We're not going to give him the space for him to, to be who he thinks he should be in our house, but we're not going to kill him. But the brothers argued ferociously with one another about killing him and taking his life. And I want you to understand something. Is that Joseph was in the pit and he was in a scenario where he no longer had control over his life. But God still had control over his life. Even though Reuben fought for him, Reuben didn't know he was being used by God to protect the man that was in the pit. And you should understand that. Is that I don't care how much control you have felt you have lost over your life. God has an advocate fighting for you in places. I wish I was talking to somebody. In places that you think nobody's standing up for you for. And he's in the pit, and Reuben is saying, but we can't kill him. And they're saying, but, but we've got to get rid of him. And they said, we can't kill him. So they devised this idea that what we'll do is we'll kill a goat, and we'll take his jacket, and we'll dip the jacket in the goat's, in the goat's uh, blood, and we'll take it back home to the father. 
And what happens in the process of them killing the goat is that a, an envoy was traveling to Egypt that was Midianite men. These Midianites came upon Joseph's, uh, Joseph's brothers and they began to bargain for Joseph's life. His brothers said, hey, listen, I'll tell you what, um, why don't you take this guy, our brother, far away from us? And they sold him to the Midianite entourage for 20 pieces of silver. So now Joseph has gone all in one year's time from being the preeminent person in his father's life to being pushed over in a pit, betrayed by his brothers. And now he is, going, he is the possession of people that don't even know him. His brothers now get ready. They go home. They bring this blood-dipped uh, uh, jacket home to his father and they lay it at Jacob's feet and they tell Jacob that your son is dead. He brings this blood-stained jacket. Remember, the jacket represents the favor that Joseph has with the father and it is dipped with blood and everybody in this room should understand that your favor didn't come for free. Like some, I wish I had some help in here. Somebody paid the price for the favor that you're experiencing right now. They bring him this and they lay it before him and Jacob cries, the Bible says, until he couldn't cry anymore. And the 11 were consoling him, trying to calm him down. Now, you got to understand how sinister this is because they are the reason he's crying is that they killed or that they made it seem like they had killed his son and they were the reason why he was crying. Watch this. And they're trying to console him. <laughs> they're trying to console him even though they're the reason for his anguish. And they, so, here, so watch what happens now. They have the key to stop his pain. But because they've got to be somebody in this world, they're willing to watch him go through pain when they have the answer to stop him from hurting. I, I want you to see how this operates, is that you can want to be something so bad. You can want to be somebody so bad that you'll hurt other people, watch this, in the process of trying to get what it is out of life that you want. And the Bible says that they kept this secret for over 40 years. We're going to talk about secrets next week, week after next. We're going to talk about secrets. They kept this secret for four, they kept pacifying a lie, hoping that they would be somebody that they never could be in their father's life. And they kept the secret that their brother was alive this whole time for 40 years. In the meantime, what happens is we catch up the context of the scripture where we started reading today. Is that he, gets, he goes into the Midianites, by the Midianites, and the Midianites take him to a slave market. When they get to the slave market, y'all still with me this morning? All right, y'all like, just go and tell the story. So... They, find, they take them to the slave market. At this slave market, what is happening now is that the Pharaoh's men are looking for labor. They are buying people that come in and out of the city in the market, and they're buying labor. The people that they would have bought in this time would have been the slave labor that was used to build things like the pyramids, build things like the sphinxes, and all of the things that we admire in Egypt today. Much of the modern-day Egypt that we know was the ingenuity of the Egyptians, but the labor of slaves. And, this, and they built, they, they were hiring such. And what happens is somebody from the Pharaoh's house comes and he picks Joseph. Picks Joseph from the Midianite space. And they give him another price. And while they're giving him this price, they bring him into the house. And while he is working, he is working so good that Potiphar notices how amazing he's working. Now, this is important that you understand this because I'm talking about life just being a part of the journey. Is that you don't get to turn your genius off just because you're in a tough season of your life. It's not okay for you to be less of who you could be because you're not in the place you want to be. I'm going to say that again. It's not okay for you to be less than who you could be because you're not in the place where you want to be. He start, see, they gave him a value of 20 pieces of silver, but he knew he was worth more than 20 pieces of silver. And for whatever that he was bought for from the Midianites had to be an upsell because you don't ever bring something to the market to make what you pay for. it. So they upsold him. But watch this. He was worth even more than that. And his work, 
proved his worth, not what they paid for, paid for it for him. And you've got to understand this in your life, is that your boss might pay you $60,000 a year to do your job, but your faith has to say, I'm worth more than the value you put on me. Am I talking to anybody in here? You've got to understand. See, I want to talk to some people that know they've got a value on them that God set, not what man set. And if you cower down and believe about yourself at the value of what a man can pay you, you will never operate at the, at the level of which God can empower you because your life limit is on God's standard, not on what man can pay you. Man will never value you where God values you. I wish I had somebody that understood that. Man cannot pay you what you're worth. You have outperformed your contract when it comes to man's assertion with you and their assertion with you. The moment you stepped in the house, you were worth more than whatever price they were willing to pay for you. So don't you get excited because somebody don't understand your value. Because whether they gave you $60,000 a year or gave you $60 million a a year even though it'll help it's still not worth your value somebody shout I'm valuable I wish y'all helped me preach in here this morning somebody shout I'm valuable I'm worth more than any I that a boy I'm worth more than any dollar you can give me watch that just because you bought me something nice don't mean you bought me just because you said I'm good doesn't mean you got me because I'm worth more than whatever value you can assess to me and just because I'm grateful that you do me right I'm still worth more than that I need a valuable person to raise their voice right quick and shout I'm worth more than that and I'm not just talking about who's going to hate you and hate on you. You know you're worth more than that. But even the people that do you right, you've got to remember that I appreciate that you do me right. But I'm still worth more. I am worth what God has called me. And until what you give me is worth more than the blood that Jesus shed for me, then you've got to hold back and recognize that you don't run my life. You don't run my life. So, but he's in the hands of a man right now. Am I helping anybody right now? All right, tell my shout, I got value. You got value, that's right. And you better not let anybody make you think you, that you should be underneath them because they gave you the, ooh, you cute that you feel like you needed. Like uh, telling me I'm cute is not putting a value on me. It's just telling me I'm cute. Y'all ain't talking back to me. Tell, telling me that I'm dope didn't put value on me. That just says that I'm dope. I'm telling you, I've got a calling on my life that makes the devils back up. I got a calling on my life that make demons tremble. You got a calling on your life that makes your haters get afraid because the value that God put on you, they realize they can't pay it. And you can't control what you can't pay for. Jesus. I'm a, I'm, wait, I wish I had some help. Uh, you can't control what you can't pay for. So even though I work for you, you don't own me. You don't own my joy. You don't own my peace. You don't own my aptitude. You don't get to tell me where I can start and where I can end. All of that belongs to the one that paid the price to have me. God, I, so, 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 so he's a man of influence, but he's not next to the influential person. And the way that he gets next to the influential person is that Potiphar starts to notice his work. When Potiphar notices his work, he gets connected to what is influential. And that you cannot create the kind of change that God has put you on this earth to create if you're not connected to somebody that can make decisions. I'm, I'm teaching this thing better than y'all shouting amen. God, God has given you the kind of favor. See, there are people in this room that didn't really understand what God was trying to do with them. Is that you thought he was trying to get you a title when he was really trying to get you next to somebody that can make decisions for somebody else's life. See, if you want to know what kind of power you have, it's not about being the one in charge. It's about being the one that can control the one that's in charge. And if you've got influence on the person that can make decisions, then it doesn't matter who's got the title when you've got the influence. I'm going to help y'all in this place today. See, watch this now. Somebody shout, I got influence. 
That's why God moves you into rooms that you didn't deserve to be in. He connects you with people that outrank you and that outdegree you because God doesn't look at you and say that I'm going to give you a position. He says, I'm going to give you influence. And influence is better than position. I'm preaching better than y'all shouting amen. Somebody shout, God, give me influence. God, let me be the one that moves the hand of the king. We dance over David, but y'all better understand that Nathan is the one that really had the power in the kingdom because he could move on David and make David make decisions that he wouldn't have made by himself. And it is a wonder to be a person that has influence. And when God gives you influence, then that means God trusts you. But you don't just fall out the sky and fall next to influence. The way he became influential is that he was busy about his gift. He was busy about his work. And while he was being good at his work, watch this now, he was a slave being good about his work. He was, I'm going to say that again, he was owned by somebody else, but it didn't let him stop doing his work. He looked at his situation and said, if I'm going to get out of here, it's because I'm going to be better than all these other lazy folks in here that's mad because they're here. See, they forgot that I've got a vision for my life. And because I've got a vision, doesn't mean that I don't have this, this vision won't come to pass because I'm in this man's house. I got to go through this house to get to where God told me. I need somebody that's willing to go through some stuff to get where God promised you. And it was his work. Somebody shout, work. He wasn't just working, he was successful at his work. God help me in this place. See, he was successful at his work. And it's not just about showing up and being a body that is there, but it's about being excellent at what God has told you to do. Whatever you put your hands to do, your Bible says, do it as unto the Lord. That means I'm not just a body if I'm typing. I'm the best typist that we got at work. I'm not just a body if I'm cleaning. I'm the best cleaner that we have at work. Why? because authority is connected to success and you will never have authority if you don't have success and the world has us chasing success but we ain't got no authority God, I want you to understand that authority is what we seek after not to be successful but I cannot have success I have authority if I'm not good at something and you've got to ask yourself in this world, what am I changing and making better? What am I do adding to being at my job? See, the, the, see, Potiphar cannot find you if you blend in with the pack. But if you elevate your performance, I wish I was preaching to somebody that's ready to be seen. Know you've got the aptitude but just haven't been seen yet. Know that you're the man for the job but haven't been seen yet. I want to talk to a handful of y'all in this place this morning. I want to preach this morning to some people that are saying if I could just be seen I can go to my next level God sent me here to remind somebody that if you're faithful in your work you'll get somebody shout authority somebody shout authority see people want success they want they, they think that there's a way to get authority without being good at something God help me. Yeah, you don't get to have authority if you ain't good at nothing. God help. You don't get you don't get to be in charge of nothing if you're not good at nothing. And you've got to be careful about people that are trying to have authority but don't but aren't good at anything. And I and you and that's probably half the reason and one of the issues with somebody in this room today is that you have taken advice from someone that has not been successful at anything. They're going to tell you how to run a business, but they ain't never ran a business. And they're going to tell you how to run a church, but they've never run a church. They're going to tell you how to be married, and they're not in a good marriage. Y'all are not helping me preach in here this morning. I'm preaching better than, see, when you're good, I'll listen to you. When you're successful, you can become my authority. And God is trying to set up people's lives. Authority in the earth. I, am I talking to anybody that needs some authority? You are being, you are the, you are so close to having authority that you that you literally are honing your gift, a honed gift away from being at the level you have believed God to take you to. I'm preaching this thing better than y'all shouting amen. The Bible says that a man's gift will make room for him and bring him in front of great men. I need somebody that's going to take this next season to commit to honing your craft. Oh God, oh 
everybody going to heaven, but everybody that's going to heaven ain't good or nothing they're doing here on earth. I'm not just going to get to heaven. I'm going to make my boss find me because my work is good. And I'm going to do it. He did it. He did it. He did it while he was a slave. While he wasn't in control of his own destiny. The Bible said that Joseph was a handsome man in both appearance and in stature. So he was a, uh, however they would have defined handsome in stature, you can define it. That perhaps he was 6'2 and had broad shoulders and strong arms and whatever. You just, stature. He was a man that looked like he should be an authority. But he was also, according to their day, aesthetically pleasing. Meaning he was handsome in his face and handsome in his body type. So he was, he was a man who worked hard. And he was a man that looked good while he was working hard. And, and what happens now is that what, is, what, what, what he has on his life, before we talk about favor, is something that is uh, uniquely uh, connected to the intrinsic way of the way that God created the woman. And the woman is desire, part of her journey is to be connected to security. And part of her journey is to be connected to, uh, to, to the pulchritude that is connected to the security that working a job can bring. And he wasn't just consistently working his job, he was working his job well. And not only was he good at his job, he, was, he, was, he had the favor of God on his life while he was good, which meant that he was multiplying faster than his actual skill set. Now, he had skills, but the favor made him multiply faster than his skills, plus he showed up handsome. So now, she, he, what happens now is Potiphar's wife is watching this man, and he is showing up to work every day, and he is showing up to work every day being good at his job. And not only is he good at this job, he's got the favor of God on his life and he's good while he's doing it. That, now listen, there is one thing to have admiration for that, but it's another thing when you don't put boundaries around your admiration, you'll end up being like Potiphar's wife. She let the boundaries of her admiration fall off of what Joseph was and instead of just admiring the brother, she went into longing for the brother. The Bible says her eyes longed for him. In other words, the Bible is saying that she started to build connection with him. The eyes longing literally means that she's building connection with him. In other words, he barely knows she exists but she's building a relationship with him in her head God that ain't nobody in here but I'm going to talk to this side over here. You know, she's building relationship with him in her head while she's watching him do things that are attractive don't know about you because y'all different than every other church in the world y'all ain't a, that don't exist in this room but let me help you understand how somebody operates see when you're in your 20s it matters how handsome he is and how good looking he is and all that good stuff when you're in your 30s he got to be able to help with the rent and by the time you 40 he need to be able to take the rent off your hands y'all are not talking back to me and I'll trade a little bit of the six five. Ah, God help me in here. For five nine. Y'all ain't talking back to me. If I can swipe the card and it go through. Am I helping anybody in here? I'm trying to help. I'm trying, I'm trying to help somebody in here because the security that is attached. I'm preaching, but y'all better shout amen. Is that when a woman can be secure and when a guy can provide the security, there is an attraction that is built, whether it should be there or not be there. You've got to put boundaries and hear this brother show up. He digging and he working and his biceps are showing and his shoulders are getting big and he's single and he walking around here with his big, y'all ain't talking back to me, beard down to here, Jewish man. So, you know, beard down to here, he's showing up and he's good and all the sisters are like look at Joseph go look at Joseph go and what happened is she started to want something that she owned but she didn't own him 
she started longing for him. And the Bible says, the Bible says that she kept asking, lie with me, lie with me. She kept asking, lie with me. I'm going to show you how the devil works. Because it don't ever start with lie with me. It starts with observing the work. It starts with seeing yourself as a recipient of what he's doing. It starts with showing up where his work is. Y'all ain't talking back to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You ain't never done that before. You never just stalled at the coffee shop until the elevator opened that he was about to get on and then y'all, oh, good morning. We gonna be on the, uh, this is the way this works. That's what she. Lie with me. The Bible says, Joseph says, look, the father, he gave, your bastard, your husband, my master, he gave me everything in this house. He gave me everything but you. He said, he gave me everything but you. And I want you to understand that the answer is no, I don't want to lay with you. She said, but, she, but what she realizes is that her vulnerability was about to clash with his vulnerability. God, help me in this place. And you got to be careful when two vulnerable people show up around one another because stuff is liable to happen. Because he had his own backstory. His story is that he was in his father's house. Just a year before, he was the, the man of the house in his pit. And then they brought him and they sold him off to slavery. And in one year, he is the man at his father's house. In another year, he is working for a man. And that is his journey. And now he is being pressed on by a woman that has authority. And she is trying to hammer down his integrity by showing up day after day. Lie with me. Lie with me. Give me yourself. Let me give you mine. Lie with me lie with me how would she have the audacity to come at him that way and it's an interesting thought because I started to think about Potiphar's wife I started to think about what it would be like in ancient Egypt to be a woman and in ancient Egypt you were considered a second-class citizen so long as your husband was alive. And your rights were always connected to his rights. And your authority was connected to his authority. And it didn't matter how intelligent you were, how smart you were. It didn't matter if you were the, the brains behind it. It didn't matter. Nobody, nobody saw you. You were invisible to society. And not only were you invisible to society, you, you were, you were uh, uh, considered somewhat of a second-class citizen, so much to the degree that I'm not going to give you second-in-command of the kingdom. I'm going to give it to a slave man second in command of the kingdom. So now she's the woman who is standing in the world and she is invisible to the world because she is a woman. And then it goes even a, a, a few steps deeper than just being invisible in a social space. She's invisible even to us, the readers, over 2,500 years later, so much to the degree that our Holy Bible doesn't even call her by her name. We just refer to her as Potiphar's wife. And if you thought it was just a Christian thing, the Quran calls her Aziz's wife. Aziz is the title that would have been given to Potiphar in that time. So in every tradition that you would see, both in current traditions and in, in the ancient tradition, you would have seen that people essentially saw her as being invisible. And when you do your life in a community and in a society where people don't see you, they don't see what you deal with, they don't see that you're here. They don't see your pain. They don't see your complexity. They don't see who you could be. When people walk right past you while you're there as though you're not there, when you live your life in a space that sees you as invisible, you start to live your life like you're invisible. Nobody will see me if I, because nobody sees me. She approaches him because nobody's watching me. Nobody cares if I lay with you, if I don't. She came at him so brazen, we can automatically assume that this wasn't the first time that she took something that she wanted. This was just the first time she took something from a man of God who had integrity. 
She looked at him and she comes and she's a, she was invisible to the world. She was invisible to everybody. She was invisible to the workers. She was invisible to the, to the authorities. She was invisible to the, 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 the pomp and to the circumstance. All she got to do was just stand there and be Potiphar's wife. And then she went back to being invisible. And people would, there would be masses and masses of people as she stood next to Potiphar. And they would run right past her to go say, hi, pastor. I mean, Potiphar. As if she is invisible. As if she is invisible. And when you're invisible, you act like you're invisible. She makes decisions like she's invisible. Nobody will know that I'm in depression. Nobody will know that I do drugs on the side. Nobody will know that I'm having this affair. Nobody will know because nobody's watching. <sighs> nobody's paying attention to me or to my journey, nobody. I wanna, I wanna talk to people that feel, feel invisible. Nobody's, nobody knows who I could be. Nobody knows what I could be. Nobody knows what's inside of me because they walk past me. They never give me a shot. They never give me a chance. They never give me, they never give me, they never give me. And you've got to be careful when you're invisible because when you're invisible, you're vulnerable. And vulnerability has a tendency to sniff out other vulnerable spaces. So she sniffed out Joseph in all the vulnerable spaces. But the difference between what she did and what Joseph did because Joseph was indeed vulnerable is that she busied herself with Joseph while Joseph busied himself with work. Joseph busied himself with work and Joseph had to look at the fact that he had a full kingdom that he was in charge of and he had to ask himself am I willing to give up my kingdom for this time spent with you am I willing to trade you off for this entire kingdom that I'm in charge of and he made the decision that my destiny is greater than this night with you even though you're dope and you're the queen and you're all that stuff watch this and maybe nobody will find out but my destiny is bigger than whatever we're going to do in here and I'm not going to put my destiny at risk just because you said that I was cute and you met me in a vulnerable moment. I want to talk to somebody that's caught in the crux between their destiny and a temporary satisfaction. And whether it's the temporary satisfaction of drugs, alcohol, of a nightlife, whether it's the temporary satisfaction of adultery, that your destiny is bigger than your situation. And you've got to see that even though I'm struggling in this situation, I realize that this situation is not bigger than my revelation and whatever God has spoken over my life I'll battle through it so now I hold on to my Corinthian scripture that with every temptation God you have got to make a way of escape for me I wish I was helping somebody here but pastor you don't know what I'm going through the Bible said that no temptation which has come upon you is different than what every man in this world has to go through and God is faithful somebody shout he's faithful he said he's faithful and with every temptation has made a way of escape for you you have a way out me, me and my wife went to an escape room y'all ever played that before we went to an escape room uh, about a year or so ago. And what an escape room is, is they lock you in this house or in this room. And, there are, and they have all these clues for how you can get out of this room. But, and you've got a certain time that you've got before you can get out. And, and, but it's not easily available how to get out of this room. So you're searching the whole room looking for clues, looking for ways that might be the trigger that helps you get out of this room. See, here's the thing that happens is that your destiny your, the season that you are in in your life, it's got a clock on it. You better understand that. The Bible says to everything there's a season and a time for every purpose under the sun. That means you don't have all day to get your purpose done because there's a time. Y'all ain't talking back to me. There's a time. I need somebody that feels the pressure of time running up against your back. He says that time, but God, I'm stuck in this room. I'm stuck in this room of dissatisfaction. I'm stuck in this room of anguish. I'm stuck in in this room of frustration. I'm stuck in this room of dead-end jobs. How can I get out? This might be my life. God sent me here to tell you, nope, there's an escape. You just got to keep searching for it. There's an escape in the room. I wish I was preaching to somebody. You've got to keep praying and fasting and believing and asking God because just when you think your life is over, God will have an escape hatch that lets you get out of what you're into and
and free you into where you should be. I need somebody that need an escape to shout, get me out of here. She, she is now in a space with her husband. And we don't know much about the relationship that she has with Potiphar. But the Bible says that she, re, she reaches for Joseph and grabs him by his outer coat. And Joseph didn't have time to, to play with it. Joseph wiggled himself out of his coat and he took off running and he fled. And he got to the end of the hallway and he remembered, she got my coat. She got my coat. She got, she got my. <laughs> I got a situation here because the only way I could get my coat back is I can go along with what she wants from me. Or if I stay on the outside of this, then she's going to have something on me. She's going to have something on me. And because I don't know what it is that she might have on me, and I don't know when she might pull out what she has on me. See, what the Bible teaches us is that she came running out the room saying, he raped me, he raped me. But before she did that, what she has is his cloak. And what she has now is she has evidence in which she could could have extorted him to get what it is that she wanted. Have you ever had somebody in your life that knows some stuff that you don't want out? And they don't free you from it. They just wrap the cloak and they put it away until, and they keep getting out of you what it is that they want from you because they know something about you. Y'all are not talking back to me. Because they've got your cloak and every time you say no, they be, but I'm the one that. Okay, that ain't you. Every time you say, I'm going to my next level, they say, but I'm the one that. Every time you challenge somebody, they be like, how are you challenging them when I got your cloak? standing at the end of the hallway wondering is my secret going to get out is, and, I, and how how am I going to be able to deal with somebody if she comes out and just tells a lie that's why you better be careful who you have meetings with by yourself he says, he says how is this going to happen well good for him the bible says that she comes running out and she says he tried to rape me he tried to rape me he tried to rape me and the bible says that when she went to her husband her husband listened to her and her husband says that she should go and he should go and spend time in prison. Now, this is important, the punishment that he got, because you got to understand who Potiphar is. Potiphar is, is he is the Pharaoh's henchman. He is in charge of the Pharaoh's guard. So the, guard, the people that guard the Pharaoh and the people that execute judgment and execute people uh, on behalf of the Pharaoh, that is Potiphar's job. Potiphar's job is to execute the enemies of the state. And he has at his discretionary authority the ability to execute whomever would cross him. This is his job. And I think it's very interesting because what happens is this man comes and he takes his, and he's accused of raping his wife. And instead of condemning him to execution, he condemns him to just prison. Is it possible? Is it possible that even though he didn't want to know the truth, he knew the truth? Uh, is it possible that even though he didn't know the truth? And you know, there are some things that you know about some people that, that you just, you know about people, you just don't want to have to know about them. And because, are y'all following what I'm saying? And, and see, right now Potiphar is in a bad position because Potiphar has to choose his wife over choosing the person that made him rich. He's got to choose his wife over choosing the person that put his kingdom in order. He's got to choose somebody he doesn't really trust, but he has to trust because, you know, I can't really prove that it didn't happen. And he's got He's now in the position where he has to forfeit his destiny and forfeit his future earnings all for a person that may have. And and Joseph, are y'all still with me? And Joseph is now in a place where he has become the victim of the Potiphar's wife's humanity. 
What was she really looking for? She was looking to be seen. What was she really wanting? She was wanting somebody to take notice that she existed. What was it that she did? She did something horrible in an effort to become known. And what she don't understand is that what she did is she tried to break somebody in order to fix herself. And you've got to watch people that are willing to break you in order to fix themselves. She felt like if I pull him down, then I'll be elevated in the conversation. Because right now, I want to be connected to somebody that everybody's talking about. I want to be connected to something that is successful. I want to be connected to something that is moving. And you've got to be careful in your life if you are moving and winning. You've got to be careful connected to somebody that can't get a win. See, if you're winning and they can't get a win, they're going to get their win on top of your winning and if you ever reject somebody that can't get a win they will pull you down to a loss so they can feel like they won something she 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 and here's the crazy thing is that everybody's talking about her but they're not talking about how good she is they're talking about the fact that somebody raped her you have been around people that that's all that we talk about when they come around is something that's not going good in their life that they would prefer, that the only conversation they have is what's bad. You know, every time you talk about them, it's this ain't going right, and they can't do this, and they having this, and they having problems doing this, and they are defined by their brokenness and not about their genius. And the, and, we, and the only reason that they are a topic of conversation is because they have put their arrow at somebody that's a genius and shot them down so that they can be the talk of conversation. And instead of making the room better, they have made the room worse because none of us move forward if you're going to glorify your problems and not your ideas. And now he's in prison. A year ago, he was at his father's table, the favorite one. And now he has been thrown in a pit, betrayed by his brother, thrown into slavery, elevated to second in command of the Potiphar's house. And now in the Potiphar's prison. But the Bible said that God was with him in the prison. I'm going to let y'all out of here, but I want you to understand something. Is that I don't care where you go in this life. I don't care what you're dealing with in this life. God is with you. God sent you here this morning to hear me remind you that no matter what season you're in, God has not forgotten about you. God was with him in the prison. Watch this. He was in the prison, and the Bible said that the favor found him in the prison because you can't go nowhere God's favor won't follow you to. You either are anointed or you're not anointed. And if you're anointed, having a Benz don't mean you're anointed even more, any more so than having a Corolla means you're not. If you're anointed, you're anointed in your Corolla. If you're you're anointed, you're anointed in your one bedroom. If you're anointed, you're anointed on the trolley. And sometimes you've got to know that I'm worth more than what I drive. And I'm worth more than who I hang with. I'm anointed to be, y'all are not talking back to me. And if God takes me to the palace, I'll be anointed in the palace. But if he moves me to a prison, I'll be anointed in a prison. Because where I am doesn't define who I am. Somebody shout, it's part of my journey. If I'm up here, it's part of the journey. If I come down, it's part of the journey. David said, where can I go where I escape your presence? If I open my eyes in hell, thou art with me. There is no place you can go where God's favor won't sustain you. So wake up and give God praise in your horrible positions and in your pits of life and in your depressing places. You can give God worship because he's there. I need somebody to raise their voice and give him a shout. Touch your neighbor, tell him it's just part of the journey. It's just part of what you have to go through in this thing called life. You're not dying. In fact, you're living. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. It's part of the journey. Somebody shout, it's part of my journey. Don't judge me because you see me down in a pit. It's part of the journey. Oh, you hearing what I'm saying? I'm in the journey. I'm in the journey. And it don't always feel good, but I'm still in the journey of life. And I don't always like it, but I'm still in the journey of life. And some days I'm going to love it, but I'm still in the journey of life. And God has not given up on me. 
because I'm not in a place where people are going to want to flash and take camera shots of me just because you don't have, you're not in your Instagram moment in your life. You know Instagram, that best life you always showing us you having, <laughs> even though you're in the middle of your worst life. Life is not always that two-second Instagram flash. It's not always that. It's not always that. You ever seen a family try to get together for an Instagram picture? Like, come on in here. Get the babies. Tell them to come over here. Stop, stop crying. Smile. Look, stop. Look, like you got my wrong side. <laughs> you, know, you know how much drama y'all go through for that perfect picture? More of life is lived and setting up for the stage than it is lived actually on the stage. And if we fall for the way that the world teaches us and challenges us and, and tells us that we ain't nothing, if you're not always on this perpetual stage of life, then we'll go through highs and lows and depressions instead of realizing this just, it's life. It's the journey. And God is with us. So work hard and walk in your favor and keep your integrity through the journey. Because when you come out the journey, you don't want to have to answer for what you did when you what. When you come out of the pit, when people finally see you, you don't want to have to explain the decisions you made for when you thought you were invisible. So the story goes that King Solomon grabbed a hundred of his greatest sages, brought them to the kingdom, brought them from far and wide, brought them to the kingdom, and he said, I want you guys to create an adage. I want you to create an adage, a proverb, that'll be true every time a person says it. That will bring up a person who is down and that'll humble a person who is too high for themselves. He said, I, want, I just want one phrase and I want you guys to create it. And the men looked at one another and they weren't sure they could do it, so they asked him for a year's time. He said, you have a year. The hundred men came together, and after a year, they came back to Jerusalem to meet King Solomon. He said, what do you have for me? He said, here is the adage. Here is the proverb. And this too shall pass. And this too shall pass. He said, I don't care how high you get, it's going to pass. I don't care how low you get, and it's, it's going to pass. And as long as you're here on this earth, it's going to be true. So you can't let the valley or the mountain affect your praise, affect your attitude, affect your work ethic, affect, are you hearing what I'm saying? How we treat one another affect you always trying to be your best self, not just do your best life. But be your best self with the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, I'm done, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave Joseph in jail this week. We're going to get him out of jail next week. We're gonna, I got to leave, and I don't want to leave it somber, but, but I'm going to leave him in jail this week. And, uh, yeah, we're going to leave him in jail. It's the weekend. So... Some of y'all, some of y'all obviously, <laughs> y'all totally got that joke. <laughs> it's the weekend, you don't see the judge till Monday. So we're going to leave him in jail over the weekend, but next week I want you to come back. I want you to come back because I believe that God's got something to say because God, because he ain't going to stay in this jail either. Any more than you're going to stay in your jail. I want you to make your seats be an altar. We're not going to have an altar to come up to the front, but I want your seat to be your altar today. And according to faith tradition, we lift our hands as a sign of surrender. Will you do that with me right now? It's just a sign that said in the ancient desert, when it was important to carry a sword or to carry a weapon, when you came across strangers, you just kind of lifted your hands to say, hey, I, I'm not coming to fight. And it got translated into an act of worship. 
to say to God, I'm not, I'm not here to fight you. I'm not, but it's a, it's a sign of I'm, I'm here on friendly terms. I'm here to surrender myself. And I'm here to ask for your strength through my valleys. I'm here to ask for encouragement through my valleys. I'm here, Holy Spirit, to hear your voice louder than I hear my complaining. I'm here to receive your strength above and beyond the people that are willing to help me stay down. Father, and in every temptation that we fall ourselves in, brother, sometimes it's not a matter of a male or female type of platonic, romantic temptation. Sometimes it's the temptation to stay depressed when God has given you a way out of depression. Sometimes it's the temptation to stay angry when God has given you a way to ease your anger. Sometimes it's, it's the temptation to stay mad at the world when God has given you freedom where you don't have to be so. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we receive your presence in this house. We receive your hand of favor over our lives. And, God, in every station and every place that we find ourselves in, what we do, Lord, now in the name of Jesus is we serve and we work and we serve and we work. And we are our best self until somebody sees that we're honoring you with the labor of our hands. And we mute our critics now in Jesus' name. We mute our critics now in the name of Jesus. Father, we mute the voice of the one who would criticize you failing at something they wouldn't even try. In the name of Jesus. We, we mute the one that wouldn't try the thing that you're failing at. So God, I praise you now. I praise you that we'd be at our best trying our best because it's just part of the journey and your hand is with us and your favor is with us and you're mending and you're growing and you're reconciling and you're lifting in the name of Jesus Christ I bless you and to every invisible person in this room your pastor wants you to know I see you I may not know you but I see you I see you sis I see you I may not know you but we see you we recognize you we honor your struggle we honor your struggle, man of God. We honor your struggle, woman of faith. We honor what you're dealing with and what you're going through. And we plead the blood of Jesus Christ over it, that you would have victory now in his name and by his power. We give you glory. We give you honor for this now. In the matchless, wonderful name of Jesus, who is our Lord. If you can worship God in this moment even though you're in a tough spot of your life or even maybe you're at a high point of your life, if you can take